This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the Lord. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. Uh, we're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. I ain't going to play coming down from the gallows and I don't have Ladies and gentlemen of Steeler Nation, welcome back to another round of sound. The Behind the Steel Curtain, I guess you could call it a post-game podcast, is the day after always. It's a show we call the Steelers Hangover, and for the fourth time out of five games, we are hungover after a Steelers victory. The hangover could be multiple things. Maybe it was alcohol-induced. Maybe it was just adrenaline-induced as the Steelers beat the New York Jets 31-13 to at Heinz Field in Week 5. We're going to talk about all that and more. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Anthony Davis. How are you this evening, Brian? Jeff, my hangover was pierogi-induced for the first time in a long time. I <laughs> ate pierogies, watched the game. It was a victory. That means there's more to come. I have to eat more pierogies. If that's going to happen every single time I do it, I feel fantastic. Well, if you eat pierogies, what do you stuff your pierogies with? I'm curious. Well, unfortunately, uh, my wife bought the Mrs. T's kind, so it was just the uh, just with the uh, potato and cheese. But uh, okay. I'll I'll take anything. <laughs> it's a pierogi. Yeah, I mean, I I go outside the box with pierogi sometimes. I like a little onion in there with the cheese and the potato. Also, a little spinach never killed anybody either. But uh, try that. That's good if you like that kind of stuff. But anyways, we digress from our food talk to talk about the Steelers and. This is a chance for you to call in and talk about the Steelers as well. This show was built based around getting you to call in, you, the listeners, to make this conversation a discussion. You can do so by dialing 347-850-8581. Again, 
347-850-8581. If you're on hold, please be patient. We'll get you on the air as soon as possible. And uh, we're going to try to plow through this show pretty quick. So if you want to call, call now. Lines are open. And uh, we'll get you on the air to talk about everything that's related to the Steelers' victory. We have one person on hold already. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's just get right to it. He's a Hall of Fame caller. Everyone knows him if they listen to the show. This is Vito Mankin from uh, New Jersey. Vito, how's it going? Gentlemen, good evening. I guess everybody's got to be excited today. I mean, I think it was a great team victory. And, uh, you know, yesterday morning I was listening to Mike Francesa as they, one of the Jet fans called in. And one of the questions was, how did the Jets overcome the Steelers? How did they win? And I think what Mike Francesa said, it's going to be a tough game to win for them because, you know, these guys are very talented, meaning the Steelers. And he did kind of say, Jeff, exactly how the game was going to go, where he did say that the coordinator of the Jets would be making it an easy game for Fitzpatrick. A lot of running plays, a lot of short dinks and dunks. Guy's not going to beat you by throwing down the field. And if you notice, most of the game, that's exactly what he was doing. He was being very conservative. He wasn't lighting it up or anything. But at the, if you remember the first half, that was a very close game. And, that, and I said to myself, this could be a very close game all the way to the end. And I think what kept it close was a couple of those drop passes by Sammy Coates. Otherwise, they probably would have went into the half with a bigger lead. But if you notice, Pittsburgh came out much differently in the second half. And one of the great things I noticed was the offensive line did a really good job of giving Ben all kinds of time in the pocket. And I think you said last week, Jeff, that you think the Jets front would be in the top three, top five. So, I mean, a lot of credit to the Steelers. If they could get past the team that good, what does that tell you about the next few games coming up? Because the Dolphins definitely don't have a top three or top five defense. They're struggling all over the place. And I think as a unit, as a team, we just got to go in there and take care of business and say, look, we got to keep playing every every down, play it hard, go in there and look to get the victory, however we have to do it. And what I was noticing a lot yesterday, maybe you guys could could um, quote me on this, is I noticed a lot of Le'Veon Bell, a lot of Le'Veon Bell, a lot of Sammy Coates, not a lot of Marcus Wheaton, and not a lot of Antonio Brown. So maybe Ben is just trying to do a better job of spreading it out more, but Great team victory. It's a great position to be 4-1 because, you know what, it gives you room for error in case, you know, we get more injuries and we don't win the next game or two for some reason because I know the Patriots game is going to be a, a bigger test than next week. But anyway, I thought it was a great team victory, and uh, we're in a great spot. And I think, you know, if we could keep playing this well and if we could have the same, you know, result next quarter where we're 3-1, and one, then we'd be 7-2. and two. I mean, what a great place to be going into the final stretch of the year. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your input. No, no, absolutely. Thanks for the call, Vito. As always, we appreciate it. Um, to be honest with you, this game was uh, was definitely a, a team victory, a team victory that we uh, – that is the way that Vito described it was perfect. Um, Roethlisberger was spreading the ball around. A, a little fact here, I, I think that there were a couple turning points in the game. Uh, and if you if you checked out our BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, our uh, predictions for the game, if, if you read what I wrote, I almost predicted the score. I said it was going to be 38-17. to 17. I was close. It wasn't exact, but I was close. But the way I described it was pretty much on point. I said, I think it's going to be close in the first half, and then the second half the Steelers are going to turn, or just kind of put the pedal down and, and go by them. I did predict a couple Fitzpatrick turnovers. That didn't happen. But the turning point, in my opinion, Brian, was the last drive. They get the ball back. The Steelers get the ball back with two minutes left. 
They drive down the football field. They're able to put a touchdown on the board to regain the lead, 14-13, to 13, and then they get the ball after the, the halftime break. Now, they didn't score on that opening drive of that halftime break, but they eventually do. It kind of breaks things open. Think about how the game would have changed if it were 13-7 to 7 compared to 14-13. to 13. That touchdown was huge. Um, and, and like Vito mentioned, Roethlisberger was spreading it around. He targeted, uh, let's see here, one, two, three, four, seven receivers, only had six of them that made catches. D'Angelo Williams did not have a catch on the screen pass they ran to him. But ultimately, there was a lot of Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell had a career-high nine receptions for 88 yards. He was out of the backfield a lot, and that was exactly what the Steelers' offense does. Think about the, what, how the, the Jets were playing defense. And a lot of people are saying, well, what's the deal with Antonio Brown? Well, first, Antonio Brown had nine catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. Not a bad day at the office, folks, but by, but by Antonio Brown's standards, a little bit of a downslide. Antonio Brown's getting double teamed and bracketed every single time he's on the field. That's why Sammy Coates can go deep. That's why Sammy Coates had six catches for 139 yards and two touchdowns. But to be honest, he could have, should have had four touchdowns on the day. He was targeted 11 times. Le'Veon Bell, okay, so you're going to send a safety help over on Antonio Brown's side. The other safety's probably going to be going deep uh, to protect him on the deep ball. And what are you going to have? A linebacker now on, in, on Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield. That is a mismatch. That's what makes the Steelers' offense so good, so versatile, is that they can beat you in a multitude of ways. This game was fun to watch because it was both offense and defense. Little known fact, in the second half of the game, the Jets only got into Pittsburgh territory once, and that was to the 49-yard line and ultimately ended up punting the football away. The Steelers' defense stepped up big time on third downs, only allowed two third-down conversions, I believe, in the entire game. They sacked Fitzpatrick three times. They hit him ten. Um, they were as advertised. I'm not going to say they were great and outstanding because we know that um, Brandon Marshall had his yards. He had eight catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. But ultimately, they limited what they, were, they wanted to do. Um, people forget that the Jets are a decent football team. Brandon Marshall is a very good wide receiver. Fitzpatrick is, although not top tier, he's no slouch. He's not like you're playing against Brian Hoyer. Uh, and Matt Forte is very good, a very good uh, dual threat player. So, Brian, uh, uh, t- talking about turning points, before we get to our next caller, what were some of the turning points, maybe the ease thought was it the same or the different in this game in week five? Well, you know what, before I get to that, uh, we're talking about the targets. Coates, Bell, and Brown all had 11 targets each. And when uh, Jesse James, you throw in eight targets for Jesse James, when you have two wide receivers, a running back, and a tight end all getting over eight targets, that means you're spreading it around and you have so many weapons and you have a guy like Marcus Wheaton, as talented as he is, only able to get three. You know, that means that there is so much opportunity on that field and even when, when a guy like Marcus Wheaton does get a look, he's going to be dangerous for that team. But I, I think the turning point was when um, actually, you know, the second time that, uh, that uh, Sammy Coates got into the end zone at the end of the game, that was a big deal for me. But when, when he dropped the ball and they were able to convert it on the very next couple plays, I believe it was the next play, I believe Jesse James, that was, that was a big deal. That's like, look, okay, we just dropped the ball here, but we could turn around. We're, we're not going to let a missed opportunity get away. So not, excuse me, not let an opportunity get away. We're not going to get 
we're going to capitalize on every single chance we get. And that seems what they did. When they dropped the, when Sammy Coates was dropping balls, Ben Roethlisberger took him aside and kept going to him. Mike Tomlin said it at halftime. Like, look, it's not going to be the last pass he ever drops. He's dropping more in the National Football League. That's what the National Football League is about. So the fact that they kept going back to Sammy Coates, but when he dropped the ball, we're able to go somewhere else and capitalize it, that not being Antonio Brown at that point, you know the Jets seemed a little demoralized at that point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and the thing is, is, people say, well, yeah, he kept going back to him. Well, yeah, he kept going back to him because the Jets were so determined on making sure that Antonio Brown was not going to beat them, that he was not going to have a field day with that secondary, that it left him open so much. And Sammy Coates, thankfully, is becoming a multi-trick pony. You know, when Mike Wallace was here, Mike Tomlin <clears throat> famously labeled him as a one-trick pony, as saying all you can do is go deep. Um, Sammy Coates is starting to develop more of a of a route tree, so to speak. Problem is, is that he's not becoming consistent enough with his hands yet. Again, he should have had four touchdowns yesterday, and unfortunately he ends up with two. Still a great game. It was one of the strangest games I've ever seen from a wide receiver. Um, ultimately, I, when I wrote the winners and losers column after the game, and I got applauded by this actually by a lot of fans, I put him in the winners and the losers column. That's the first that. time I've ever done that because he played well enough to be a winner, but he played bad enough to also be a loser. Uh, that's just Sandy Coates right now. If they can get some stability from him, he's turning into the number two wide receiver. And if you can get Marcus Wheaton going, Eli Rogers comes back, maybe Ladarius Green, the sky's the limit for this offense. But we have a couple callers here on hold. Let's see if we can get these people on the air. Here we go, 347-406-7201. You're on the Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. Hey, Jeff and Brian, what's up? It's Bryce calling in from Brooklyn. Hey, Bryce. What's up, Bryce? How's it going? Hey, it's going well, going well. Um, yeah, you know, it's really good, really good game yesterday. I thought the first half could have went Pittsburgh's way even more, and, and, and I don't know what you guys thought of this. I thought the first half, Pittsburgh kind of allowed the, the Jets to control the tempo and the pace of the game. I was surprised Todd didn't go more no huddle, to try to just attack the defensive line, maybe open up some holes in the run game by tiring these guys out. Pittsburgh has that in their arsenal, yet they weren't really – they seem reluctant to use it. Um, I don't know if you noticed that, but to me, that would be my only concern to the game the other day is I felt they played too slow, and I would have liked to see them pick up the pace in the first half. I think if they did that, they could have put that game away earlier. Well, you know, Bryce, I, I definitely understand what you're talking about. And I thought that, yeah, there's a case to be made that they didn't come out and were really going after him. However, it's tough when in the first series that they have the ball, they go 72 yards deep to Sammy Coates. But I think defensively is where I noticed them allowing the Jets to dictate the rhythm and how they were moving the ball in that first opening drive. I watched the first half again today, and they were playing really soft coverage. And I've got to be honest with you, without Eric Decker on the field, they really only have Brandon Marshall at the receiver core. They've got some other decent players, but no one that's going to scare you. And um, I just felt that they played way too soft in the first half and in the second half. Uh, Ross Cockrell talked about it after the game. They kind of tightened up the zone cover schemes. They made some changes, and it worked. It worked in the second half. I think they can be a little bit more aggressive all across the board on the defensive side. They can bring some more pressures from unique ways. We saw... Mike Mitchell come with pressure late on a couple blitzes. 
Um, it was great to see Anthony Chiquillo finally get home and get his first NFL sack. Arthur Motes has become a little bit more steady. Uh, but lo and behold, the, the defense seems to be turning around. Uh, Brian, what do you think about the offense? Do you think they got out to a slow start, or uh, were you happy with what they did? You know, well, I'm never happy when uh, when they're not scoring uh, early and often. But, you know, and I think that's a little bit by design also. Um when you have a potential for a quick strike on the other side of the field, because Forte can get you right away. Bilal Powell can get you if he gets in the open field. He's a lot like Darren Sproles. So I think they wanted to sort of slow down things on the offensive side and try to have more ball control, have more just tempo, and not have the defense on the field all day. But something you, uh, you said to me, uh, said just now, Jeff, just about the fact that the uh, the defense um, pressure, if you notice at the end of that game, they brought a lot of pressure because the game was in hand, and it shows you what they can do when they decide to rush the quarterback. We've talked about it all year about the design and the fact that this is the same team that was third in the league in sacks last year with 48 sacks. When they want to bring pressure, when you unleash those guys, they can do it. It's not a personnel problem. It's a scheme design. And those guys, they were unloading at the end of that game. There, there was, they weren't going to even get a garbage time touchdown yesterday. It wasn't possible for how good that defensive pass rush could be when they're just completely unleashed, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Bryce, um, what do you think about the defense? Are you pleased with it? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I am pleased with the defense, and, and I think, I will, to Brian's point, I will push back on one thing, and, I, and Jeff, you and I have kind of alluded to this. I think it's actually pretty, to me, it's pretty obvious what Pittsburgh needs to be in order to play the type of defense that they want to play, and I think they, they've kind of tipped their hand. This team actually has to blitz, I think, to get pressure because I don't know if they have enough personnel. I mean, there's a couple guys, but I don't know if they've got the horses like in the past to win one-on-one matchups um, if they just rush three or four. So I think Keith Butler's got to give in to what he did last year, and he's just got to dial up the blitz. They've got to be a blitz-heavy team. I think they've up- – and you've upgraded the secondary to where now you can put these guys and, – and, and Jeff, you and uh, – me, you and Chris talked about this, me, you and Lance. I think now that they've upgraded – They've got some speed in the secondary where they can put these guys in more man-to-man, pattern-reading situations and win those matchups. You look at Ross Cockrell. This guy should have had a pick yesterday. He did a good job playing against a very – I really like Brandon Marshall. He's very physical. But, you know, that was a good play by Brandon Marshall, but that's a pick. Ross has got to finish that play. But he's right there, tight coverage. You've got Artie Burns. They're going all in on Artie Burns. You put Justin Gilbert on – um, you put Senquez Golston on the IR, which means to tell me you're all in with Artie Burns as the third guy. And, you know, he's got a lot of athleticism. I think with the secondary they have, not every play, but you got to bring the blitz to get pressure. Yeah, they, they don't do it with three or four, uh, especially with Ken Hayward now nursing a hamstring injury. It's going to be even more difficult. Although I thought that Javon Hargrave filled in, in I thought, admirably for uh, Cameron Hayward. Uh, from the waiting minutes of the first half throughout the second half. Um, I think it's going to be more of a rotation now. I'm surprised, too, it hasn't gotten home yet. He is a guy that a lot of people had high hopes for, but you're right. They need to blitz more, and I like how Keith Butler is typically very creative with his blitz, with his blitzes, and not just the 
the where the pressure comes from, but the timing of it and the pre the, the disguises pre snap. He's only very good, and he's. Yeah, I, I told I tell people this last. I told people this last week. I said it on uh, our Wednesday show. The standard is the standard. This defense will get better as the season goes on. They did it in 2014. They did it in 2015. This defense is only going to get healthier. They said Robert Golden could possibly play this weekend. Um, that's going to be a big piece to come back because it's going to give them a little bit of flexibility in the back end, help them on special teams with Dangerfield primarily focusing on that. Um, but, no, you're right, Bryce. Uh, they do need to blitz. So um, do you have anything else for us before we let you go? Um, just one more point. Uh, Chris Hubbard was excellent yesterday. Um thought he was very good. You know, uh, a little surprising. They didn't do a lot of help. A lot of one-on-one blocking matchups. Um, and, you know, this guy was up to the task, and I think the coaching staff has to be extremely pleased um, with what they saw on game day. Obviously, when you got Munchak coaching you, this guy's the real deal and always has been. I mean, people think Munchak was a great, was, is a great coach, and he is. Oh, man, I don't know, if Jeff, you ever saw that guy as a player. I did. He was the real deal. I mean, he was a phenomenal wow. offensive lineman, one of the best I've ever seen. So he gets these guys ready. Chris Hubbard played really solid. And it's good to know that Pittsburgh, at least on the right tackle, has a guy that can plug in. Having said that, you hope Villanueva stays healthy because I don't know. You know, playing left tackle is a little different. But I like what Hubbard did on the right side. Well, a couple facts about Hubbard. Uh, first and foremost, um, when we found out fans, when I say we, fans found out, it was about Friday, that Hubbard was going to be starting. I went to our Behind the Steel Curtain Twitter page, and I just put a basic statement out there saying, look, I've got no reason to believe that this guy's not going to come in and step up and perform like everyone else has, like Vince Williams did, like Jordan Dangerfield did, like DJ Finney did. And I was, there were a lot of people that were, like, upset that I said that. that oh, wow. my gosh, this guy stinks. Did you watch him in the preseason? I'm like, look, just watch this team. It just seems like whenever somebody goes down, the next person to step up does exactly that. They step up. They play well. They 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 excel at that in that position. Chris Hubbard was the highest rated player on the Steelers team, not the offensive line, the entire team, according to Pro Football Focus. Yes, he was. And I saw that. Did, yeah, he did get some help in the first uh, half, and he did he did say that after the game. He was quoted by saying, "I did get some help, a lot of chips." A couple times they put the tight end over top of them just to help out initially before they broke out in their pattern. It's just that's smart football. Okay, you've got a guy that's never played tackle in the NFL for a regular season game. You're not going to just put him out there on an island. But in the second half, they did leave him more one-on-one, and he wasn't going against some slouch. I mean, that defensive front is good, and they start yeah. a lot. That takes a lot of communication. David DeCastro, I'm sure, was in his ear the entire time. Kudos to that right side, kudos to the offensive line. And I said this on Twitter uh, last week, Mike Munchak, this is after B.J. Finney's performance, we want to start a GoFundMe account so that we can get Mike Munchak more money so that he can stay here forever because the guy is, he's a magician. It's unbelievable how he gets these players that are undrafted and they don't miss a beat. It's it's impressive. Brian, did you notice Chris Hubbard? Because if you did, it was only for good things. He didn't really make many mistakes. Yeah, only when they brought him up because, you know, they always say about an offensive lineman, when you don't hear his name during the game, it's a great thing. And only when they brought up the fact that he was in for an injured Marcus Gilbert was the only time I heard his name. I was shocked not to be seeing number 74 all over all over uh, the field with images of him uh, just with his head down. 
Because that's what I thought was going to happen. But he was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he played well. He played really well. Well, Bryce, we thank you for the phone call as always. We'll talk to you next week, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care. Good night. All right, take it easy. All right, we have a couple more callers to get to. I'm glad people are calling in and talking about the big win. We go in order, so if you're on hold, please stay on hold. We'll get to you. Uh, let's see if we can get this caller. 832-232-256-6588. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. What's up, Jeff and Brian? It's Melvin out of Dallas. What's going on? What's up, Melvin? How's it going down there in the Big D? Going pretty good, man. I'm so dedicated, man. I had to drive all the way up here to Frederick, Maryland. I'm in Frederick, Maryland, but I'm listening to the show at a restaurant, so whenever I get through talking, you can mute me, but let me still stay on so I can keep listening to the show. Um, Absolutely. Y'all took, y'all, took, y'all took all of my points. I thought the offensive line yeah. did a great job against that, against that defensive front. Because remember, I remember listening to y'all uh, last week. That defensive front, we were kind of nervous. Because uh, if I remember correctly, didn't, the Jets, didn't they sack, uh, they sack uh, Carson Palmer eight, six times? I, I want to think that well, they, no, they sacked was, somebody uh, six times. Andy, Dal- Andy, Dal- Andy Dalton. They got him seven times. Andy Dalton. Yeah they, got, they got, yeah, they got him that many times. And they kept being uh, upright. But on the defense, I'm kind of glad that Ross, uh, Ross Cockrell kind of got owned there. Maybe he'll grow from that. That should have been a pick all day long. It, it still kills me when you have DBs in perfect position. He turned around, found the ball, but couldn't get his other hand up because he had it on uh, on Brandon Marshall. But I think he gained a, uh, a lot of experience uh, with that. But going back to as far as the blitz, here's just a thought. And y'all, you guys may have talked about it before. The way Vince Williams is playing right now on that inside, just throwing it out there, why not put uh, Shazier on the outside? on that right side, leave Vince Williams inside and, and get, get a better pass rush off the edge with his speed and with his quickness. That's one thought. And the other one is, like I said, I'm, I'm, all, for, I'm all for blitzing. We, you know, we've got to take the training wheels off of our quarterback, especially when, you, you know, we got a game coming up against, you know, Miami. Everybody was scared about the Jets, saying that this was going to be a trap game. So, okay, we got past that. I'm not even worried about our offense. The only thing I'm worried about our offense is we're, we're, we are real slim on offensive linemen. Another offensive lineman goes down, we may end up having to pull somebody from the practice squad if we haven't done it already. Uh, that's what scares me about the old line. But the offense, I'm not even worried about the offense. The only thing, Sammy Cole, I wish I could be a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. And Antonio Brown on the other side, now, now I get to eat. I can eat all day long. I'm just waiting on, like you said earlier, I'm just waiting on Marcus Wheaton uh, to get, you know, finally start getting his touches. But what do you guys think about just, just trying, just seeing about putting Shazier on that outside, uh, on the outside and leaving Vince and, uh, and Timmons on the inside on that? What y'all think about that? Well, before I get to answer your question, uh, I should say that in Frederick, Maryland, you are dangerously close to behind the Steel Curtain headquarters, which is found in, in Hagerstown. Um, so you probably oh, really? right through uh, the hometown. Yeah, that's right. That's where we are based here in uh, Hagerstown. So uh, you could have stopped in and said hello. Actually, I work in Frederick County, Maryland. So there you go. What is that? <laughs> Nonetheless, um, I, I will say, <laughs> um, I will say this about Shavier. The easy way to answer this question is to say 
you're crazy, he's an inside linebacker. But if you look at it closer, the Steelers don't play the 3-4 anymore. Uh, they play a lot of 4-2-5 uh, when they run their nickel out there. They, they, they do run three linebackers at times. They have put Shazier on the outside, and they don't always rush him from the outside, but they have put him out there. If, if Vince Williams has done anything in the last two games, it's proved that he should be out there if if they need someone they can tackle. And Shazier, for as athletic as he is, for as fast as he is, he does sometimes over-pursue and misses tackles. Vince Williams, maybe it's because he's not as athletic, doesn't do that. And let's be honest, if Vince Williams misses a tackle, it's rare. There's a reason he had 16 against the Chiefs, and he led the team with nine again uh, in last last night's game or yesterday's game on Sunday. So Vince Williams deserves more playing time. The question is, is how do you get him that playing time? Um, I would love to see some type of rotation, maybe between Shazier, Williams, and Timmons, maybe even get all three on the field together. If you're running a 4-3 look, have them as your three linebackers. I don't think what you said, though, Melvin, is, is too crazy. A lot of people might say, and now if you go and say that Shazier should be a safety, like a lot of people do on social media, then I'm going to say I'm not answering that question because I think that's silly. <laughs> but putting him on the outside, I think, has its, has its merit from time to time. Brian, what do you think? Well, he did it in college, and when he was drafted in 2015, um, excuse me, 2014 when he was drafted, they were all the talk was the fact that uh, he can play inside, he can play outside, wherever you need to put him. I agree with you on the safety. That's a that's just crazy. Um, but this, you know, they can go ahead and do that. I think if uh, Butler goes goes ahead, gets in the, the laboratory, and uh, figures out some ways to get all three of these guys on the field, that would be great. Vince Williams has lost 15 pounds over the last year. He is healthy. He is hungry. He has that new contract. He's justifying it. The guy needs to play. The only thing I'm thinking about with Vince Williams now is you're going to see him playing a lot in 2017, and that might be to the expense of LT. Lawrence Timmons might be gone because of this unless he takes a very, very team-friendly deal, which is something that he's alluded to the fact that he's willing to do. But for right now for 2016, I'd love to see all these guys and you capitalize on how – good all three of these players can be. If you can find a way to get them on the field, do it. And different packages that he could dream up, uh, I'm talking about Butler, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, the only, and, the only other thing. Shay- go ahead. Go ahead, Melvin. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your point about Shazier. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying that Shazier is so versatile, like Brian mentioned, that, that Keith Butler should be in the lab figuring out a, a way to make him – always be someone that they have to account for on the on the offensive, on the opposition side. Um, you know, they used to talk about that with Troy Palomalu. They used to hear that talk about players like Ed Reed. Uh, the great defenders of the last few decades, they would say you always have to know where they are on the field. They should do that with Shazier. He's athletic enough. He's versatile enough. It looks like now they have the depth to do that. Um, it would be interesting to see if they venture into that. And if you put them on the outside a little bit more, you might get him out of the mix in the middle, which has seemed to be getting him injured a lot. So maybe that would have a little uh, added bonus to that. But that's a good point, Melvin. What else you got for us? Anything? Uh, the only other thing I had, and then you can go ahead and mute me, but I want to hear, uh, leave me off so I can hear. Two things about Tomlin, Coach Tomlin. One, you got to give him a guy a little, you got to give him some credit because what, he, what he's been able to 
do, over the, with the exception of the, the egg that they laid. He's been managing all of these injuries quite well, uh, in my opinion. However, I want to get you guys' take, and then I'll be done. What did you think about going for that fake field goal, which ended, which ended up costing us points? And I'll, and I'll talk to you all next week. All right, Melvin. Well, thanks for the phone call. Enjoy Western Maryland while you're out here. Uh, it's uh, not a bad part of the state. You're still far enough away from uh, Ratbird Land, as I like to call it in Baltimore. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, enjoy enjoy your stay. All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks. All right. Um, let's well, let's uh, let's let's start talking about Mike Tomlin for a second. I am a huge Mike Tomlin fan. I have been since they hired him back in 2007. I'm not a Tomlin hater by any stretch of the imagination. I think that he has done a wonderful job, and he's done a great job bringing in coaches that are doing a great job with what they have to work with. And in terms of the injuries, this is the second year in a row that they have had stretches where it seems like they are decimated and they still win football games. A very resilient bunch, and that, that directly points to the head coach. He's a motivator. He knows how to prepare his team, and, yes, everyone can bring up the letdown games and all that stuff. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's on him. Now, that uh, some of the blame certainly would fall on the head coach, but not all of it. Now, with that, in the same breath, I will say that I thought that the fake field goal was one of the most idiotic decisions I've seen in a football game, well, dating back to 2015 in Seattle when he made the same boneheaded decision. And I don't know if um, the special teams coach, Brian, what's his name? Danny Smith, is that correct? Danny Smith, Jr. Yeah, so whatever he has, if I were him, if he's wearing a headset, I'm not giving him a headset next game or for the rest of the season. Um, And I'm getting a coach or someone that's going to stand by Tomlin and just – not allow him to talk to him for the rest of the year. Because it, when you have a defense, in my opinion, that is a bend-don't-break defense, they're going to give up some points. They typically, outside of the one game in Philadelphia, they have held opponents off of that 20-point mark. You don't turn down points, period. And what makes it even more frustrating is it's not like Josh Scobie's kicking field goals or that even um, Sean Sweesham, who had issues uh, at times in his career, or Garrett Hartley. This is Chris Boswell, who's kicking the ball tremendously. And I just don't get why you don't take the field goal, get the points on the board, and trust your defense is going to make a stop. And I understand he's going to say, and t- tomorrow and Tuesday, they're, they're going to have all the questions, and he's going to say the same thing. Well, I don't live in my fears. We thought it was a good call, yada, yada, yada. Give them credit, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, it was a stupid decision. And I really wish that Tom would come out and say, you know what, that was dumb. My bad, stupid decision, learn from my mistake in the future. It's got to be a dire situation for us to do something like that. And if you're going to do it, you don't put Jordan Berry on a student body right sweep with fourth and two and not even come close. Uh, Brian, you heard my take. What's your take on the situation? Jeff, I feel like we're in fact or fiction because I'm going to tell you right now, I absolutely loved it. And the reason I love that call is if it works, it breaks (laughs) the Jets back right away. So that's why I love that call. You're going to make calls like that. You're going to go ahead and uh, roll the dice every once in a while. When you're rolling it early like that, you still have time to make up for it. But if that works, he's a genius. The whole, I mean, and that game's over a whole lot quicker in my mind. 
So I I like it. I like when they pull stuff like that. I said it last year at the Seattle game. I loved it. If that works, it's a whole different ball game. I see. I disagree with the fact that I, I, I'm not going to lie. I would say this on the air. I'd say it to anyone in person if I saw them. Even if they would have gotten the first down, I would have said that was a stupid decision. Yeah, it was great that it worked, and I understand that's play calling. You know, people rip Todd Haley every week because, well, like third and 15, uh, when they're at midfield on the, the drive in the first half, he runs a draw play, which is basically just surrendering the drive. Most people wanted them to try to push the ball downfield and at least get in the field goal range. Well, it's for somehow the, the draw play, which has been successful from time to time, surprises the Jets, and they were able to break off a big run. I understand that, but I still would have said, even if it worked, man, that was a stupid decision because you don't leave points on the field, in my opinion. I think you just always have to take the points. When you have the, the offense like the Steelers and especially the defense, I just totally, totally disagree. But you know what? If you want to call in and chime in on whether you agree or disagree on Mike Tomlin's decision to go for the fake field goal, you can. The phone number is 347-850-8581. Again, 347-850-8581. We have about, I'm going to say about 10 minutes left on the show. We're going to get as many callers as we can in during that time. We have someone that's been on hold. We'll get this caller on the air here. 803-431-4869. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. 803-431-4869. 803-431-4869. You're on the air. Go ahead. And we're off. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, that person's either not, not there, not paying attention, whatever. Um, Brian, I have a couple questions for you, and we'll get some more calls. We'll get them on the air. If not, we'll wrap up the show. If you were to give a game ball, we'll say one offense and one defensive game ball to uh, two players, clearly, as I just stated, uh, who are you giving your game ball to after the week five win? You know what? Uh, a lot of people are going to see Sammy Coates. I'm giving it to Ben Roethlisberger. He engineered that entire game. And, uh, you know, five touchdowns the week before, following up with another four-touchdown performance. The guy's leading the league now with 15 touchdown passes, three over, three ahead of Matt Ryan. He is on pace for not only a career year, but possibly a record-breaking year in some categories. I love exactly what he did. And you never feel, right now in 2016, you don't feel like you're ever out of the game with Ben Roethlisberger there. And although Totes had a, uh, a great game with two touchdowns, he also had, had six drops, excuse me, five drops. And with that situation, you have the guy that helped Totes Go along in that game and continue. He made sure he spread the ball around. He knew where to go at all times. He was just genius during that game. And I know it's uh, it's easy to go for the quarterback and give the quarterback the game ball, but I think with all of the talent on that field, the one guy pulling it together is Ben Roethlisberger. And when he's not there, we saw it last year, Things those guys struggled. Le'Veon Bell was there when Michael Vick was – there when, when Landry Jones was uh, behind center. Antonio Brown struggled. Le'Veon Bell struggled. It's just not the same without Ben Roethlisberger. That guy won that game against the Jets. Bar none. Well, yeah, it's tough to disagree. I, if, for me, though, I don't know. I have to give it to, if I were going to give a game ball to someone, it would be Mike Munchak. Um, I just cannot get over I mean, 
the Jets' defensive front, I watched a lot of breakdowns, not only on our website, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, but on other websites. Um, read a lot about them, uh, studied them. They were all over opponents in the first few weeks, and they shut them down. And if it weren't for Roethlisberger holding on to that ball, which caused the fumble that they recovered, and it was just a, a hair too long, they would have shut him out. And not only that, they ran the ball on him. And we're talking the top five run defense here. And Le'Veon Bell had 20, 20 uh, carries for 66 yards, which doesn't sound like a lot, but those 20 carries is what's important, is balance. 3.3 yards a carry, 60, he, he ran the ball well. They had some good holes for him. That is a tough defensive front, and when you chisel out 66 yards and then combine it with Le'Veon Bell with 88 yards at receiving, they did a really good job. Mike Munchak, and, and it goes, this goes beyond just Chris Hubbard. I know that everyone, we talked about it earlier, everyone was all over Chris Hubbard, and, and rightfully so, he had a great game. But I, I look at Mike Munchak as much more than that, that, that whole offensive line is dynamic of no one's trying that Alejandro Villanueva, except for the fact that he's on those USAA commercials. Um, no one's talking about him, but he, he, that's a good thing. No one's talking about the left tackle because he's playing good football. Uh, Ramon Foster comes back. He seems to be healthy back at it. Marquise Pouncey is Marquise Pouncey. David DeCastro finally got his head out of his uh, rear end and played a good game uh, Sunday. And Chris Hubbard, the next guy that stepped up, the next man up. So that's who I gave it to. What about on defense, Brian? He's giving the defensive game ball too. I've got to give it to Vince Williams. That guy was just – he was all over the field. I Just for the second week in a row, I mean, for two in two weeks – the guy has 24 tackles in two weeks, and he has uh, he's already, for hardly playing the first three games of the season, he is now in number 30 in the league in tackles already. That's how uh, that's how quick he has ascended with all of these tackles. But he's just doing it viciously. He is he's just a monster on that field. He just looks like he's in the zone, and it's. You know, I always said that they were so deep at linebacker, um, especially the inside linebacker, and one of the main reasons was because of a guy like Vince Williams. I just loved everything that he did yesterday. I would also look towards a guy, even though he wasn't mentioned the whole time and didn't really seem to stick out, but Mike Mitchell, he seemed to be flying around the ball and just laying hits on people too. I just, I just love the tenacious defense that uh, we have in Pittsburgh right now as far as, I mean, I know there's there's troubles with the pass rush. I know the coverage isn't exactly great, but when you're only giving up around 18 points a game and you have the offense you have, that's exactly, that's the recipe for success for this year. That's all they got to do. Just keep the opponents under 18, and they're going to win each time. Yeah, I agree. And Mike Mitchell does deserve credit. He's had a great season so far. I'm going to go with someone for my defensive game ball that a lot of people might, you know, have that, like that gasp, like, holy cow, did he just say that? And that is Jarvis Jones. Um, I've been waiting to see Jarvis Jones. um, I I always say this when I talk to the guys who do our film room. I look look for players to pop on the film. And and when you're watching the game, whether it's the All-22 or whether you're watching – just the uh, television broadcast, you see these players that make plays. They just look faster. They look more physical. And for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time, well, since 2014, before he hurt his wrist, 
when Jarvis Jones collected, I want to say, two sacks in the first three games or something along those lines. Maybe it was the other way around. Um, for the first time, he actually looked like, wow, he's got some pop out there. He's he's flying around. His stat line doesn't doesn't show it. Um, he had three total tackles. They were all sacks. Uh, they were all they were all solos. I'm sorry. He didn't register a sack. He had one pass defense and two quarterback hits. See, that means he's getting around the football, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the Pittsburgh Steelers to see. Uh, was kind of discouraged that he was on the list of injured after a wrist injury uh, after the game. We'll see if he is impacted by that when Wednesday practice rolls around. But um, I was impressed with Travis Jones. I didn't think that any player, like you mentioned Vince Williams, rightfully so, Mike Mitchell, um, the only other player I would have thought to give it to was Ross Cockrell. And, again, a lot of people have said, really, Ross Cockrell? I mean, he was on Brandon Marshall the entire game, and Brandon Marshall had 114 yards receiving on eight catches. Um, the one thing you have to remember, though, is that Brandon Marshall was targeted 15 times, and he had eight catches. Okay, now there was one blatant drop on third down. I understand that. But Ross Cockrell had three pass defense, so he was obviously around the football, had four tackles, all of them solo. And talk about a guy that is given a tall order almost every week. You, you, hey, here you go, um, Ross. This week you're going to be on A.J. Green, and you're going to be on the entire game. You're going to fall on the round. And then this week, hey, you're going to be on Brandon Marshall, a six foot four monster of a receiver. And he does it, and he does it well. If he was in position to possibly have an interception. If I was going to give it to anyone else, I'd give it to Ross Cockrell. So, um I guess now's the time in the show where I give it. It's kind of like last call. I guess it's the Steelers hangover. That's a good final segment here. Last call for for callers. It's three four seven eight five zero eight five eight one. Again, three four seven eight five zero eight five eight one. If you want to call in, if not, well, Brian's going to get on the bar stool and give his spiel to Steeler Nation here in a second. So Brian, with no further ado, uh, go ahead and speak to those in the uh, in the BTSC bar tonight. Well. I'm going to, for my last call of the night, I'm just going to say three words. Well, I'm not going to say three words. I'm going to follow it up. But the three words that are going to define this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is bend, don't break. That's all there is to it. This team is going to give up a lot of yards. As far as a pass defense, they're ranked 30th in the league. But you know what? I don't care that they're ranked 30th in the league as far as pass defense. I care for the fact that they are ranked 7th in the league with giving up around 18 points per game, like I just mentioned just a few minutes ago. That's what I care about. That's what's winning football games. So they can go ahead and throw the ball all, all the way down the field on them, but they're not getting in the end zone. And you just brought up Ross Cockrell, and as soon as she said Ross Cockrell, I was thinking, Jeff, are you crazy? Then I listened to everything you had to say, and you completely changed me in just about two minutes. When you're 8 for 15, and you're, you're defending, you're stopping the uh, a monster receiver like Brandon Marshall on about 50% of the balls coming your way, and you're not letting them in the end zone, that's a victory. And that's what the Steelers need to continue to do. And they're going to do it. So don't be upset if they bend. Just get upset if they break. And right now this defense is designed for them not to break. I said it all year long, this is a special team. This is, this is reminding me of the way I felt about the Penguins at the very early part of the playoffs. I just feel like it's a team of destiny. I know it's early. You keep, you're going to tell me it's early all the way up until December probably, Jeff. But I just feel special about this team, 
I like the makeup of it. And if you could, I know defense is supposed to win championships, but if you don't break and you just bend, you're going to be okay, Jeff. I agree. And kind of to piggyback off that with my final call of the night, or last call, I guess I should say, um, is, you know, you talk about the team of destiny, and it just seems like they have that look about them, that they're going to be a team to be reckoned with for the remainder of the regular season and hopefully the deep into the postseason. I guess now's the time where, as, as the editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, you know, where you're – this is almost like a full-time job. It's not my full-time job, but it's like a full-time job. And, and the job never ends. And I, I'm always on the site, and I'm always very – uh, responsive and, and keeping an eye on what commenters are saying in, in the comment section of our articles. And uh, there's one common theme in the off season, and that is, oh man, where's the? Can't wait until we're talking about real football. And you know, now that it's here, it's hard to believe that five games are already gone. Um, we're already a quarter past. We're beyond that. We're five games in. The Steelers are four and one. The only thing that I would say to fans out there is, you know, it's easy to look ahead to games like the New England Patriots game in two weeks at Heinz Field. Just take every week, every game, and just enjoy it. I, I try to do that myself, uh, especially this week. For some reason, I was watching. I was like, you know, I just need to watch, enjoy Ben Roethlisberger because you don't know how much longer he's even going to be playing. Uh, enjoy Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and Sammy Coates because who knows how long they're going to be on the team together. Uh, just enjoy the fact that the football season, unfortunately, is the shortest fo- shortest season of all professional sports teams, uh, sports leagues, and the off season is just dreadful, <laughs> just absolutely dreadful. And, you know, the draft is coming, the draft comes up, and that's exciting. Free agency comes up, that's exciting. But ultimately, nothing beats a football Sunday, and before you know it, it'll be over. So enjoy every single second of it. Enjoy it with BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And now I, I like to take the time to remind folks that you make sure you check out the website early and often because it's, in my opinion, the best website on the Internet for Pittsburgh Steelers news. Check out Brian's show tomorrow, the Fact or Fiction show. And on Wednesday, my show with Lance Williams, where we preview the upcoming opponent. Uh, it will be the Miami Dolphins this week. That's the standard of the standard on Wednesday night. And then we'll have another couple shows here for you, Steel City Underground, as well as the NFL, NFL Black and Gold recap. Um, a lot of good stuff for you, uh, not only here on our BTSE podcast platform, but also on the website. So, Brian, as always, thank you for your time. Callers that called in, we appreciate you taking the time to call in. Uh, enjoy your week, folks. We'll see you next week, next Monday night, for the Steelers hangover. Hopefully the Steelers are 5-1 and one and we're celebrating again. I'm Jeff for Brian. We'll see you next time. Bye. Good night. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.